Girlfriends, episode number 163, Help for the Church in Need with Brooke Taylor. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, I'm talking with my friend Brooke Taylor about a new project she's working on, which is a creative way that she is going to be raising money for the church in need in a global way. Can't wait to share her exciting project with you. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Glad you're here. I'm always glad to connect with you in this way on the Girlfriends podcast. Thanks for showing up for this week's show. This week, let's talk, first of all, let's talk about Lent. How's your Lent going? We're just, um, by the time you're listening to this, we'll be almost a couple of weeks in. And um, I hope whatever you've taken on is going well for you. I didn't do an episode before the start of Lent about Lenten ideas, but there are some um, in the archives. Maybe I'll link to those in the show notes for you if you're looking for ideas. Because guess what? It's not too late if you haven't already made a perfect plan for Lent. Sometimes we do that to ourselves, right? We think it's all or nothing. And you think, well, I never got around to it before Ash Wednesday, so forget it. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. You can absolutely make a plan for Lent starting right now. Or if you've made a plan and you've already failed at it, you can pick up and start over. You can pick something different. It's okay. This is a season of 40 days where we're meant to be progressing in holiness, where we're meant to be growing closer to God in whatever way he has planned for you. And it might not be what you planned. Okay. I just want to give you that little bit of encouragement, but if it's going well for you, or if you're struggling through and remaining strong in whatever you've taken on for this Lenten season, I commend you for that. And I just want to encourage you to keep on going. Why don't you share with me? I would love to be able to share on the podcast during these next few weeks as we're progressing through the Lenten season, what you're doing for Lent, what creative ideas you might have. I know some people were sharing ideas on the Facebook group for the Girlfriends Podcast. It's a great resource. If you want to go there and share what's going on with you, maybe share something you're struggling with, maybe share something you have a question about. One of uh, the listeners who participates there uh, before the start of Lent was asking about a particular program. I think it's called Fiat 40, which is a pretty intense Lenten program. And um, she kind of felt like maybe she should try it, but kind of felt like it was overwhelming. And I think that the um, Girlfriends listeners group on Facebook is really a great place for us to talk about things like that and be realistic. Like here, look at this program. What do you think? I feel like I'm going to be overwhelmed if I try to do this. And it's a great place for us to kind of um, crowdsource in that way with people who share your values. Um, Not, you know, of course, we're not all cookie cutters, but the fact that we um, gather around the Girlfriends podcast, I think, tells us that we have enough in common that we can kind of trust each other there and have conversations where we know that we kind of have the same goals and um, similar values and circumstances. So it's a great place to do that. If you're not already a part of the Girlfriends podcast group on Facebook. I want to encourage you to go over there and just hit request to join and I'll, I'll add you in. It, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash girlfriends podcast. Um, but that link is always in the show notes. So check it out. We would love to have you join us there and join the conversation. But now first, I want to share with you uh, my conversation that I had recently with my friend, Brooke Taylor, who this was before she left for her trip. I'm not going to tell you where she is. If you follow her on social media, you already know where she is, but you'll find out in the interview more about this amazing project that she's working on. And Brooke just really has a heart, a heart for the church and a heart for 
uh, Christians in the global community, and a heart for sharing her own experiences and doing what she can as a wife and as a mom here in the U.S. to support the church worldwide. So I, I'm really inspired by everything that Brooke does, and I can't wait to share this with you. So take a listen. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be welcoming a special guest to Girlfriends today. My friend, Brooke Taylor, is here with us. Brooke, if you're not familiar with her, is host of the popular podcast, Good Things Radio, where she shares her heart and her vision of hope in Jesus Christ with audiences everywhere. Brooke is founder of St. Gabriel Media and the creator of the annual Arise Retreat, bringing women together from across the country to find joy in their shared journey of faith. As a nationally recognized speaker, Brooke loves sharing her heart with audiences on topics close to her heart, such as faith, adoption, parenting, special needs children, community, joy, and the power of one voice. She's also, if that's not enough, the author of books, Choose Joy and Choose Hope, a 52-week devotional journey. Brooke and her husband, Jim, are busy raising their five children, four sons and a daughter they adopted from Poland. You can find out lots more about Brooke and everything she's doing after our conversation by going to brooketaylor.us. Welcome, Brooke. I'm so excited you're here on Girlfriends. Hello, hello. It's good to hear your warm voice. <laughs> I'm so happy to be able to chat with you. That's like the number one thing I love to do since I've been podcasting is it gives me a great excuse to connect with girlfriends, people that me I follow too. online. And I feel like I know you, even though I, I was trying to think this morning, have we actually met in person? I don't I don't think no. so. I, I feel, feel like, like we, we have, have. Yeah, we, but we have not. <laughs> <laughs> we totally <And> have. <laughs> the last time I think we connected was for your book um, uh-huh. when it was coming out. And, and that's still something I enjoy on my nightstand. Nice. And so oh, it's far great. and few between, but I love when we can. Right. We're friends of the heart and the spirit. And one day our paths will cross. We'll put yes. that in God's hands. Well, listen, today we're going to talk about this special project that you are working on. I mean, everything in your bio, you're doing so many things. You're stirring so many pots. But one thing that I especially love about following you on social media is when you share your journey as a runner and the ways in which you combine it with your spirituality. And this new little project, I'm eager for you to tell us about it because it's the perfect combination of those two. Well, thank you. And you know, it's funny when you say runner, because I think for all of us who are kind of just mortal moms, at least for me, it's hard to even be described as such. I've been running for <laughs> about 20 years. You've been running for a long time. Yeah, like since high school. Yeah, for sure. Big time, like major you were. So I picked it up when I was 18. And so I've been running for about 20 years and just here and there, not anything really competitive, but I've done six, this will be six half marathons. And And so it has, I think for a lot of us become a living prayer. It's not just a time physically to work out, but it's a spiritual time of meditation with the cadence of the heartbeat and the footfalls and the breath Mm -hmm. and not to make it sound dreamy. I mean, there are some days where it's like, (laughs) what am I doing? But I think especially as I've gotten older, I've appreciated it more because you realize how fragile our health is. And I may not be, you know, muscular or fast, but it's the gift of the activity. And Mm -hmm. so there's a race coming up that I was so grateful to be able to marry both the physical and the spiritual and do something. And so we're raising money for a good cause in a place I never imagined. So we're really excited about this. Yeah. So tell us about this. (laughs) I'm like, I, 
I can't imagine. First of all, I've never run a half marathon. I am signed up for one with my daughter this summer. So it's yes. going to happen. Oh, great. But never mind doing one uh, so far away. Where are you going? Okay, we're pulling back the curtain. So it's, <laughs> it's the first international race. You know, I'm a mom of five. It's like right. we barely get out of, you know, our little neighborhood, but it will be in Jerusalem. So wow. it's a really exciting opportunity to do an international destination race and one with such a rich history and such a cultural diversity. And we're doing it. And I say we, it's myself along with my son, Grant, who's 15, mm-hmm. and my friend, Brother John Michael Paul. He's a brother with the community of St. John. And we're together, he and I co-leading a pilgrimage, and then we're staying on to do this race. And it is in honor to raise awareness for aid to the church in need, particularly Christians there in the Middle East Mm -hmm. that are in need right now, and in particular, Syria. Wow. I think that's amazing. And it's it's such a historical, meaningful place. I mean, what is that going to be like to be running there? Well, I thought at first that it would be like this ethereal bubble. And I just could imagine like a scene out of Forrest Gump. I could hear the chariots of fire. And then I looked up the information and it says it's one of the five hardest races in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Exactly. Uh, thanks a lot, Lauren. Here I'm thinking, you're, you know, he never makes it easy, right? Oh he makes gosh. it glorious and he makes it worth it. Uh-huh. But the reason why is because of the hills. And I oh. am not a fan of hills. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, this is it. And initially I was going to make this my first full marathon, but knowing that I'm actually going to be getting on a plane later that same day, I thought, I don't want to come home to my family. And not oh my be gosh. Able to move. You will be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it didn't seem, and you know, when you're traveling like that, you know, like sometimes your digestion's off. I thought I'm just not going to do it and mm-hmm. hopefully it will be okay to do. So we're all doing the half marathon and nice. Just being able to go by Jaffa Gate and all of the beautiful places, the the stones, everything is stoned there, you know, in the old mm-hmm. city. And to be able to have that experience is, is is something that's been keeping me going for sure in the Amazing. long runs and the days, you know, that um, I'm just dreaming about what it's going to be like. Wow. And you are having some long days. I know this because I follow you on social media that um, you've got a trainer now. And I was just dying the other night when you were showing that you've got like bags of potato. Explain this to us. Have you ever heard of this? I had not. No. Well, I I thought she was joking at first. (laughs) I decided to get a coach, which is an investment. But I thought, hey, if I'm going to do this, you know, I want to be able to because I've never been a scientific runner. I just put the shoes on and go. But I actually, as I'm getting older, I've had some injuries and some knee issues I had to rehab. So she's helped me get everything dialed in from the conditioning to the cross training to the diet. And on my long runs, I have a really hard time. I can't really eat or drink a whole lot Mm -hmm. or I have GI issues. But when you're training for an endurance race, you have to be able to have some fuel. And so she said, you just need to have a baked potato. And I thought, what? (laughs) (laughs) Am I just going to whip a baked potato out of my my pouch? Oh my gosh. And she said, no, I'm serious. And she sent me this link and it had this recipe and you mash it ahead of time. You put it in baggies. And I guess that's common for ultra runners. It's just a good combination of the carbs and there's no crash and it's more of a savory treat. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was going to make me throw up because it did not look very appetizing. And you know what? She was right. I don't know if it was 
if it was a mental thing or what, but it was actually really great. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> what we so, won't do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe something for you and your daughter to try. I think maybe I'm going to look into it. Um, but okay. let's get back to Aiden into the church in need. Can you explain a little bit about what that organization is and why, why you're so motivated to be raising money for that? They are a treasure of the church. They are a papal foundation, a pontifical charity that was made official through Pope St. John Paul the Great, John Paul II, who is their patron, but really started in the 1940s after World War II. And so they've been doing work all over the world since then in the displaced people at that time. And now today, they really advocate and help for those in need, persecuted Christians all over the world. And I think what's especially notable is they can get into places other aid organizations cannot because they are affiliated with the monasteries, the convents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot on social media about Sister Annie. She's from Aleppo, Syria. And when everyone left and evacuated, she stayed. And she has had to move out of Aleppo, but she's still there in Syria embedded and helping the people because now it's not just rebuilding the homes, but they are traumatized, as we all know, in every way. And so to be able to give to this organization, and the beauty is that you can give, they will offer a prayer intention, a mass intention, whether it is in Nigeria or all of these places where they are working. And in particular, Syria has my heart. And I think we've all kind of felt gripped by what's unfolded there over the last decade or so. Right. So that for me was a very inspirational part because I think when any of us are choosing a charity, you just want to make sure we we all want to help. You just want to make sure that your funds are going to the right place for the need that you're praying for and that you trust the Holy Spirit is going to lead. So it really was a God connection. Um, I had been affiliated with them back in like 2009. A listener had sent me a video about a priest who had been kidnapped and tortured in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And it was so moving, so powerful. One of those where you see it and you're like, okay, what can I do? And so this opportunity then to run and to do it, to raise awareness. And if all you offer is a prayer, that is powerful, let alone the funds and the charity that will be funneled right into those areas. And there are a lot of areas right now that are in great need from, we know Syria to Iraq, to Saudi Arabia, to Burma, Pakistan, North Korea. And so there's no shortage of needs. And, And what's happening is that there's an emerging trend to crack down on religious freedom from these authoritarian, uh, authoritarian, authoritative regimes. Mm-hmm. And so even India, China, where you hear, we see these in the headlines and this is exactly what ACN specializes in. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. And what a, what a powerful way to kind of hammer home, especially involving your kids the way that you are, that we're one big global church. That's, yeah. that's something that's really just a beautiful thing to reflect on. But um, too often, I think we get kind of lost in our own little bubbles, like Catholic church in the U.S., you know, it's such a privileged experience compared to what some of these other people are going through. But what a powerful way to actually help, you know, you doing this, this fundraiser to raise funds, but anybody can help, right? Anybody can go to churchinneed.org and help out. I'll put the link to support your particular project. Um, But I loved what you said about offering a prayer or even just offering up. I find that that's such a powerful way for me. It's very empowering. And I try to give that same notion to my kids. I don't know if you do something similar when you're talking to your kids, but like sometimes you see the news, like what's coming out of Syria. I mean, it's devastating. 
and you can feel just helpless in the face of great evil. But this is something you can actually do. Yes. And that's why it's, it's so rare and beautiful and wonderful. I don't want to say rare, I guess for me speaking, I mean, who I never would have imagined that the Holy Spirit would, would allow me to go to the Holy Land to run in Jerusalem. So for me, it's rare, but to Mm want to do it and use it. And that's the beauty of our Catholic faith. We want to use everything. Nothing is wasted with God. So let's use these hills and this race and these 13.1 miles to draw awareness to the beauty and the power of the body of Christ once it's mobilized. And you are mentioning how we are able to go to mass and the beauty of religious freedom here in the United States, which is increasingly under attack here too, though. Mm -hmm. But in countries throughout the world, we may just never hear about these stories. People are kidnapped, they disappear. Mm -hmm. And it's not something out of medieval times and earlier. It's happening now. So I think that's why it is important because we live in a time where everyone loves to to tell stories and we want to tell the story of what's happening to the persecuted Christians because they're our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And offering up a race like this and raising awareness in that way is a beautiful way to remind even, you know, me, as I was reading through your story, I was thinking, you know, I, I mean, I have things in, in my everyday that I try to remember to offer up and I try to remember to offer up for friends and families and other intentions and that sort of thing. But I don't often enough think to offer it up for the worldwide church and people who are suffering in, you know, other countries and places far away. But what a beautiful idea. Well, I think for all of us, something happens in our life that brings a deeper meaning to a cause in whether that's lung cancer, I lost my dad to lung cancer, or in our case, autism, we have all been Mm -hmm. touched by something. And so when you walk that journey, it opens your eyes, the Lord puts it on your heart, and you're never the same. And that's kind of how it happened for me with Syria. I had a chance to be locked inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre overnight in 2017. So another thing that just made no sense. You know, what am I doing here? Yeah. (laughs) How did that ever happen? It was well, and we had a priest that well, was brother John Michael Paul, he's running the race again. And so he had a connection with the Franciscans there. uh, One of six of the traditions that are there inside that share space in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And they had room every night, 15 pilgrims are permitted, put on a list to come in. And there are specific rules. It's locked all night and you cannot sing you cannot sleep and you have to be very quiet because all through the night there is divine liturgy, whether it's the cops or the Armenians or the Franciscans. I mean, it's truly like you are outside of time. And I spent most of the time, I mean, I went up to Calvary and of course sobbed and um, I really can't even put words to the experience, but then really most of the night ended up in a Jacobite Syrian chapel. It's to the west of the rotunda and the edicule, the tomb of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of tucked away. And if you were on a tour and go and would go in there, I think you would just say, okay, what's next? Because there's nothing to see here. There Mm -hmm. is, it's not well kept because they haven't had the funds, the Syrian church there. And so it looks like a bombed out church. There's smoke and soot on the walls. There is a fresco that's completely faded. You can't even see what it is anymore. And the altar, which is wooden, is chipped and broken. There's a shattered mirror. And so I just spent the night there and I thought, what a symbolic image of what's happening in Syria. These noble people the city of Damascus 60 times alone in scripture is mentioned. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch and, and what has happened, you know, to these noble people, they are still there though. And Mm -hmm. something happened to me there. And I thought, okay, Lord, I, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. And the funny thing is I got home and I had this wild hair. I don't even know what it was <laughs> to, um, to learn the, our father in Syriac Aramaic. Oh my gosh. And so I had to phonetically, and it was, let's see, it was around Christmas time, I think at that point. So um, I, I phonetically had to spell it out and my kids would be, they just roll their eyes. What are you doing? Right. Are you doing this? And I thought, you know what, guys, this is it. Our country and our circle of, of women and moms and our Catholic community, we're all going to learn this. Abunda Bashmayo is what it's called. And then that way we can say the Our Father in solidarity with the Syrian people. You know, we can speak their language and say their prayer. And then we're going to raise money for Syria. Wow. Well, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> So I was like, oh, darn it, Lord, that wasn't it. I like how but, open to the spirit you were, though. That's great. Yes, you know, because it's just, it's, I think we all, well, at least for me, you know, kind of just fumbling along. And in that balance between, Lord, use me. Here I am. I've come to do your will. I want to be a vessel to, oh, Lord, you're using me too much. I'm tired, you know, and mm -hmm. trying to to, to be a vessel at all times, a good steward, um, and, and trust all of it in the Lord's will. So this took a lot longer than what I expected for this to open up. But once it did, it was really providential because the day that I reached out to Edward Clancy, he's the vice president of the aid to the church in need in New York and the United States. Mm -hmm. And we connected and he said, yes, let's do this. He said, there are a group of Roman seminarians that do this in Italy every year. And they run from one side of the country to the other. And they raise money for Christians in the Middle East for ACN. So he said, we've done this before. Okay. And I called my pastor that day at church. And I said, would you pray for me about this? And he said, you know, you're never going to believe this. The Knights of Columbus just brought an image of Our Lady of Persecuted Christians into the church to be venerated for the next few days. Oh my gosh. Oh and my so gosh. that was confirmation. I mean, isn't yeah. that the way that... Um, that he confirms. And right. so it was definitely a signal grace. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, and I, I love, I love your, your wild stories that just seem so, <laughs> but I, I love that you're open to what, what God might be calling you to, even if it's something crazy and across the yeah. world, but this isn't your first international adventure. Um, tell us a little bit about your daughter, Carolina, and how you came to adopt her. Well, I think similarly, once we are a fool for Christ and, mm -hmm. and not that adoption is, is foolish, but it sometimes feels that way when you, especially in an international scale, sure. look at the finances and the unknowns and the journey. We had three children and then we had secondary infertility, so we couldn't get pregnant. And thanks be to God for the teachings of the church, because you're desperate. We had three yeah. kids, which mm -hmm. is plenty by the world standard. Sure. But we knew and we were aching and hungry uh, for more children if the Lord would will it. And so we just prayed about it. And at that time, I was working at a Christian radio station where adoption was very much talked about, supported in the community. Um, Stephen Curtis Chapman, I think, has been a great advocate for that. Mm -hmm. And so when you're around that all the time and as a pro-life Catholic, it's like, yes, I'm pro-life, but you know, let's, let's adopt. And, right. um, and so that was something that took us quite a while to pray about. And it's a long story, but to make it short, we had gone to Mount Vernon to watch a movie premiere with Newt Gingrich and Callista Gingrich. We were invited by mutual friends mm -hmm. and to watch a film about Pope John Paul II going to Poland in 1979. And then the subsequent fall of communism. 
And in this incredible, extraordinary turn of events, we were led to Poland to adopt. I didn't even know that you could adopt from Poland. It was right. not on my radar. You don't hear about it a lot. You don't. And my husband, you know, he's very much, um, he's, he's very patriotic. He's an army veteran. He would always say, why, why don't people just adopt kids right here? You know, there's kids right down the road. Right. And so who would have thought then that we would have gone, but you know, it taught us that the Lord connects families in only the way that he can, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the womb or the heart. And so we were led to our daughter in Czestochowa, Poland, which is really where the movie that we watched initially where Poland was on our radar took place. And that's where Jasnogora is and the great Polish Madonna, Our Lady of Czestochowa, the Black Madonna. So our daughter's orphanage was literally a few blocks from this historic monastery. And we were able to go every day. We had to stay there for six weeks. I came home early, mm-hmm. but um, we had to stay there. And so we were, we would be able to walk and take her there and pray and wow. definitely feeling John Paul II with us in such a close way on that journey. And we had no idea that a year later or so that we would find out that she had significant special needs and global mm-hmm. developmental delays and severe autism. But I think for me, it's just a reminder that, you know, God cares for us and gives us those consolations right when we need it, because I will never look back and say, oh, we shouldn't have done that. I mean, there were so many and look at Our Lady. You know, mm-hmm. she said yes. And when we give our yes, we never know what's going to come of that. Right. Um, I actually had someone legitimately ask me that, like, if you would have known everything that you know now. And it's like, oh, my goodness. So <laughs> that, because it's our children. Of but course. Again, you could say that about Our Lady mm-hmm. because of all that she suffered. But but we give our yes as an act of faith. And, and that's what it's about, you know. Right. So I think that that singular experience taught me that God will just take us in places that we would never imagine if we give us, if we give him all of us, if we give our yes. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be pleasant, but it will always be glorious. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. And I I sometimes think it's part of grace that you don't know the whole deal when God is calling you because I mean, who would say yes, right? You'd have to be nuts. Yes. Well, you know what? There's a really good Father Leo Clifford reflection about that. And he said, if if a woman could see in her life how many loads of laundry stacked up like in the <laughs> beginning that she would do, do you think yeah. she'd probably be like, no, thank that. you. No, thank you. I, I'm going to go somewhere else. No, this marriage right. and family thing's not for me. Or yeah. just, you know, all the things like all the patients that, you know, a doctor, but I think that's also like, oh my goodness, because we don't look at our lives that way. And that's mm-hmm. a mercy, like you said, but but I do think it's important to examine and look back and say all the ways that um, that we've come, how far we've come and how much we've been able to do right. with our hands and feet and our heart. Oh, that's beautiful and very encouraging. And which leads us to the one last thing I want to make sure to mention before we have to go here. Um, your books, Choose Hope and Choose Joy, which are these devotionals, which are just beautiful, beautiful reflections written by how many different writers? Oh, we have, I think, 52, 53. Yeah, that is so beautiful. So maybe you can just describe a little bit what those books are about, because you share your gifts so beautifully, Brooke. I mean, through the the media that you share and what you do even on social media. But then this is in print. So this is this is um, an an exciting way to tangibly hold something that you've created. So uh, just describe what the books are like a little bit. Well, the f- most recent one is called Choose Hope, and it's based on Hebrews 6.19. We have hope as an anchor, and it goes into the virtue of hope. And hope is 
it must be chosen. It's not as if it's just something that we have and it's a magical elixir and it makes everything okay. Hope can be very difficult. And so we go into real life stories of people who have struggled from a woman who lost her daughter suddenly to others that might have a lifelong disability. Uh, We have one woman that um, is is in a wheelchair. She was in an accident in a barn. She fell on a pitchfork. But through that, she has lived such an inspired day-to-day walk with our Lord and, and doing so much in the community. She's used that. She She's part of the Wyoming Disabled Hunters Foundation. Wow. And and so it's what's interesting about that is how our stories open us up to things we would never know about. I never knew, you know, that the outdoors, for instance, I'm just taking her story, for example, mm-hmm. was a really scary place if you're in a wheelchair. You can't go necessarily for a walk or a hike, but she takes these hunters that are in wheelchairs, a lot of them veterans, and they have specialized wheelchairs. And, you know, that's that's a total wow. sidebar. But every story in the book, so it's a liturgical format, takes you into how each one of these writers chose hope in a circumstance that otherwise would have just you know, been very defeating. And so it's nice because it's once a week and there are so many, I know you know this because you talk to so many great authors. There are so many great devotionals out there Mm -hmm. and, um, and each one merits a look. And this one for us is just a humble little offering where you can do it once a week Mm -hmm. and read these stories. And what's nice about it is you don't, you can just pick it up and read it too. It's kind of like a chicken soup for the soul type thing. Right. That's what I did when my copy arrived. I like spent a good 45 minutes just diving in before I had to go pick up some kid somewhere. But yeah, I mean, you can just get yes, lost. And you in wrote it. an endorsement. Yes. So yes, thank you for absolutely. that. Absolutely. And also, you know, we hear from priests and nuns and it's an ecumenical effort too. I have my friend, Pastor Linda Isaiah, and she uh, is writing about being a new widow and losing her husband. So it really, I think, does cover every demographic. And what's kind of beautiful is I don't think very often we have a Catholic um, initiative that really enfolds Protestants. I think Protestants sometimes they'll say, um, you know, they'll open it up to Catholic babies. <laughs> but, but that's, what's nice is they, they have Sherry Keggy. Um, she's a gospel Dove award winning music artist and wow. she wrote an extraordinary entry about it. And so they're being enfolded into our liturgical year, our traditions, mm-hmm. um, reading other Catholic writers talking about the power of adoration, for example. And so that's, what's really nice is I do think it's a book that builds unity. That's the prayer anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And I, I think that's really a theme in everything you do, Brooke. You're bringing people together across the globe and, um, you know, just through sharing from your heart, sharing your faith and, and being open to where God's asking you to go next. So Brooke Taylor is going to be, it's March 15th, right? That's the That's date right. race. That's the yes. date. She'll be running a half marathon in Jerusalem. If you would like to support Brooke's efforts, go to the link that's going to be in the show notes for this episode at ascensionpress.com. You can also find out more about Brooke's books and all that she shares about her family life. Check out her Good Things Radio podcast at brooktaylor.us. Brooke, thanks so much for sharing with me here today. You're always an inspiration, and I loved having you here on Girlfriends today. Likewise. Thank you so much, Danielle. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. 
go to youtube.com slash ascension presents that's youtube.com slash ascension presents and if you like what you see please share and subscribe Welcome back. Now it's the time of the show where I share a little bit of feedback. And this week, I have an email that I'm going to be sharing from listener Teresa, who says, Hello, Danielle. I just discovered the podcast this week and binge listened to about 10 episodes in one day. Okay, side note from me here. <laughs> I just die when I hear that people did that because I would never want to listen to myself for 10 episodes in a row. But good for you, Teresa. And I know I do that with podcasts too. So once I find one that I like, I will binge listen. So good. I'm glad people are binging on girlfriends. I just don't want to be there while it's happening because I'll be cringing. Okay, side note over. Uh, Teresa goes on. I'm officially hooked and can't wait to listen to all of the rest. In one podcast, you mentioned the importance of asking for help from others. But what about when others don't want to help? Should you still ask anyway? I'm looking for advice, particularly in regards with my mother-in-law. She is a very sweet, caring woman, but for some reason or another, gives me such a hard time whenever I ask her to watch my children, even though she watches her other grandkids on a regular basis. She lives 15 minutes away, and I only ask her to babysit about two hours a month. When I drop them off, she lets me know that she can only watch them for X amount of time because she has to shower or run errands. I feel so confused and hurt by this. I'm hurt that she doesn't see how overwhelmed I am. She had five kids, so shouldn't she remember how hard motherhood is? Can't her shower wait? I'm hurt that she doesn't want a relationship with my children. They miss her so much, and I'm hurt that she agrees to watch her other grandkids almost every day, but only watches mine once a month. Danielle, what should I do? I don't have any other friends or family close by to help, and my kids adore their grandma. Do I keep asking for help? Do I ask her point blank why she won't help me more? I don't want to take advantage of her generosity or seem like I expect her to help simply because she's family. What would you suggest doing? I value your opinion. Thank you so much, Teresa. Okay. Well, a few things here, Teresa, and I can only offer in, you know, advice based on the information that you've given me here, but I am a little bit wondering if perhaps this is a situation um, where perhaps your husband should be the one communicating with his mom. First of all, let me get that out there. In in-law in relationships, I don't mean that you, you need to him to go and do all of your nagging and or complaining and or uh, whatever, you know, but it's, it's helpful if it's family that communicates with family, if it's a, a tricky, dicey kind of situation. So that first of all, um, but if you want to have a healthy relationship with your mother-in-law, then, then maybe it is something that you need to kind of take on yourself with regard to your relationship with her. Um, so two things came to mind when you were describing this and for sure, two hours, I think you said two hours a month, right? Yeah. Um, that's definitely not overwhelming for most people, right? That you're not asking for, you know, from objectively speaking, that's not asking for too much. Um, but that said, I think maybe something else is going on here. And two things occurred to me, perhaps, you know, um, it's harder to take care of your kids than you realize for your mother-in-law for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, that, you know, we don't understand perfectly because we're weak human beings other people's perspectives all the time. And if you're feeling hesitation, then um, perhaps there is a reason for it. And perhaps the reason is she doesn't get along with one of your kids or um, one of your kids has special needs. And I don't mean special needs, although maybe they do. I mean, like needs that she has trouble meeting. Um, perhaps there's a personality thing going on with you and or your kids. I don't know what that is, but it did occur to me, maybe it's harder than you think. It's easy for us on our side and from our perspective to say, 
come on, these are my kids. Two hours a month, it's not too much. But if she's hesitating, then maybe it's more difficult than you realize. That said, maybe that's not the case. Maybe she's, you mentioned she's caring for other grandchildren. Maybe she feels maxed out by that. And maybe those are obligations that she can't get out of for whatever reason. And it's a lot more than what you're asking. And so you're kind of in this category of my daughter-in-law and grandkids who don't need me in that way. And she's feeling put out and burdened by the ones who do need her in that way in a, a much larger capacity. And so you asking for that help feels like too much. I know. And maybe it's not fair to you. I understand that. But try to look at it from your mother-in-law's perspective. If she's feeling overwhelmed by the obligation she already has, then somebody like you coming from the outside who generally is very independent and doesn't need that kind of help from her, asking for that kind of help can feel overwhelming. And maybe that's why she's feeling the, the need to put limits on it. Okay. And then that said, the way she's putting limits on it, I think is actually reasonable. You know, she's saying, I can do this amount of time and she's letting you know, this is my limit. And I, I think that's actually a very healthy thing for people to do in relationships because um, perhaps because of the other obligations she has, she knows if I don't get my shower, if I don't get my errands done, I'm going to get resentful of this uh, obligation to be with my grandkids. Um, so I think that actually can be a very healthy thing. So all of those different things, and, and perhaps it's none of those things going on. The only way you actually can find out what's going on is to talk to your mother-in-law about this. And I don't know exactly what your relationship is like. Like I said, maybe it's going to need to be your husband, her son, who approaches this with her. But it does sound like it needs to be addressed if you want to have a, a long-term, healthy, positive relationship with your mother-in-law and not have these feelings like you're saying, like, why doesn't she want to be with my kids? I mean, that's a terrible feeling. Um, and 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 maybe on her side, there, there are negative feelings about this the way this interaction is going. Maybe there's something you haven't even noticed or thought of about the way that you ask that feels too much or feels too demanding to her. I don't know, but none of us can know unless you do have this conversation with her. And so whether it's you or your husband who has this conversation with her, um, I think it's really important to, first of all, be grateful, be grateful for the fact that she raised her five children, be grateful for the fact that she's watching her other grandkids, be grateful for the fact that she watches your kids. Approach it with gratitude, not a sense of entitlement and accusation and demanding and competition with the other grandkids or the other, you know, the other siblings, your husband's other siblings, whatever's going on there. Um, she will not, no human being does respond positively to that, right? If you're coming at somebody in an accusatory way or in upset way or in a demanding way, um, be gentle and be loving and be grateful. Focus on your gratitude before you begin this conversation with your mother-in-law and then be honest, and um, don't be honest in a way like you're doing this and you don't care about your grandkids, you know, focusing on her. Focus on yourself. Say, this is a need that I have and I thought it was reasonable to ask for you to help in this way, but I'm feeling like you don't want to do it. Can you explain that to me? Or, um, you know, just look to understand her perspective more, but look to understand from the perspective of this is how I'm experiencing this. I'm getting this vibe from you. I'm feeling like you don't want to be with your grandkids um, because you're you're setting these these kind of harsh limits when you're not setting those limits with others of your grandkids. And really just focus on not guilt tripping, but her relationship with her grandkids. Because like I said, it might be because she wants to have a positive relationship with your kids that she's setting these boundaries and setting these limits. So look into what that is. And um, 
I think that's about all I can tell you. Be grateful, be loving, be honest, and be gentle in how you approach her. And, you know, come at it from the perspective of it may not be any of those factors that I mentioned, but there's something else going on there that you're not seeing and approach it like, I want to know what that is so that we can mitigate it, or I can deal with it on my side, or I can just plain understand that there's this limit in the amount of time she can be watching my kids. Anyway, that's it, Teresa. I hope that's helpful. If other people have helpful um, advice for this particular situation, because I know this is a pretty common one. I've I've heard of many different, many different experiences with mothers-in-law and mothers um, where grown children are almost kind of competitive about how much attention grandkids are getting and how much time uh, a grandmother or a mother-in-law is willing to spend watching her grandkids. And uh, there can really get build some resentment there and a sense of entitlement or a sense of competition between grown-up siblings. And you want to avoid that, Teresa. So I really recommend that you approach this head-on. And then let me know how it goes for you. In the meantime, we here at the Girlfriends Podcast will be praying for you. Let's pray for Teresa and her relationship with her mother-in-law and her mother's lo- mother-in-law's relationship with her grandchildren. And in a larger sense, Let's pray for all of those kinds of relationships between grandparents and grandchildren and all of those different factors that come into play when we're dealing with these grown-up relationships. And now, before we have to wrap up this episode, I want to let you know a few different places that I'm going to be. I always love to connect with girlfriends, listeners, whenever I can in person. So... March 20th to the 24th, if you're going to be at LA Religious Education Congress, I'd love to see you there. I'm going to be at the booth for Catholic Mom with Holy Cross Family Ministries. I'm going to be there every day of the Congress. So if you're going to be out for that huge event, I would love to be able to meet you in person. So come on by. And I think we're going to be having a special gathering for Catholic Mom contributors and friends. So stay tuned for details about that if you're involved with CatholicMom.com at all. Okay, then Saturday, April 27th, I'm going to be speaking at the Together in Holiness Marriage Conference in San Antonio, Texas. I would love to see you there. I'm looking forward to getting back to Texas. Always love seeing the different places. It's been years since I've been to San Antonio, so I'm going to love being there. And if you're at all in that area, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes, Together in Holiness Marriage Conference, which is Saturday, April 27th. And then Saturday, May 11th, I'm going to be giving my You Are Enough retreat at Light of the World Roman Catholic Church in Littleton, Colorado. I would love to be able to meet up with you there if you're in that area at all. That's Saturday, May 11th, the You Are Enough retreat. So that one is not based on my book, You're Worth It, which I've done many, many retreats, but this is a new retreat that is based on the themes in my newest book, You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission and Worth. So it's based on women in the Old Testament and what we can learn about God's unique love and his unique mission for you based on those ancient stories of women in the Old Testament. I love being able to share about those stories with you. So that one, again, is Saturday, May 11th in Littleton, Colorado. If none of those are anywhere near you, or if those dates don't work for you, if you'd like to see more information about having me come out to your area, to your community, your parish, your women's group, you can always get information about that at daniellebean.com forward slash speaking or daniellebean.com forward slash retreats for information about the retreats. So I'm available to speak at a conference if you have something ready-made put together or come out and give my retreat either for you are enough or you're worth it. All that information again available at daniellebean.com. 
And I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I love the ways in which we can connect and we can pray for each other here. If you are listening to this podcast, know that I have prayed for you this week. I pray for the community of girlfriends every week. I pray before we begin our show and I pray throughout the week as I'm interacting with those of you who are part of the Facebook group and remembering those of you who just share your hearts with me. I don't always share the emails I get. Some of them are private conversations, but I'm always touched and moved by the privilege it is to be somebody that you trust with some of your deepest questions, your doubts, your worries, your fears, your anxieties, or even just sharing fun stuff that's going on and encouraging stuff that's going on. If you have stuff that you want me to share on a future episode, you can share it with me at Danielle at DanielleBean.com or leave a comment in the show notes or connect with me on social media, connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always included in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. I would love to be able to add your comments, your voice, send me one of those voicemails to a future episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. So I always appreciate your feedback, but most of all, I just appreciate that you're listening. I appreciate that you come back and listen to what I share here week after week. It truly is a gift to me, the fact that you are present here and a part of this community. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 